Spectre Cinema Club episode 153, Fabian on Letterboxd gives A Tale of Two Sisters three stars saying, Genuinely have no clue what the fuck happened here. What I do know is, it is always happening in these damn houses with these wallpapers. Welcome to Spectre Cinema Club, a podcast obsessed with the horror subgenres. I am your host, Garrett McDowell, and sitting across from me, it is our fellow host, Devon Taylor, on this uh, uh, closing episode of this month. It's always a bittersweet feeling, Devon. Hello, hello, and yes, it is always a bittersweet when we close out a theme, uh, South Korean scares, of course, and a, a extra bittersweet because that's been this entire month. We've kind of had a we've kind of <laughs> had a heavy month here uh, with yeah. films, and it's in. We're going out. Um, I would say, I mean, yeah, this one is still pretty much just as heavy as the rest. But <laughs> uh, I was trying to think if this one. I, I would say the host is probably the most fun. Uh, of the of the bunch that we've had but uh, all of yeah. them have been uh, uh heavy to a, some degree but uh we love a good feel bad movie uh i think is uh what we've come to the conclusion at the end of this month mm-hmm. um but yes uh so yeah we're gonna be talking uh tale of two sisters a classic um so we definitely had to bring in a guest for this one uh she is a writer for fangoria and ghouls mag as well as the co-host of the carnal extremities podcast with friend of the pod reina welcome to the show vanna taylor Hi, I am so excited to finally get the guest on y'all's podcast. It's been a long time coming. We're glad you're here. Yeah, we're glad you're here. We've uh, we've gotten to see some movies together. That's been fun. Uh, so uh, happy to have you here on the show. Um, a, a tale of two tailors we got going on here. I always forget <laughs> that your last name is also Taylor. Um, but yeah, so uh, excited to get you on. And uh, before uh, we get your opinion on South Korean horror, uh, what are some of your other favorite subgenres within horror? Oh my gosh, that is, I'm so bad with uh, with favorites um, because I always feel like whatever I don't say, I'm gonna feel bad I left it out. But um, I would say body horror is a pretty big one. Um, anything that's like a psychosexual fever dream you know stuff like that i love cannibalism in the, film. the genre of film yeah. i'm hoping please <laughs> <laughs> yeah um it's not necessarily a subgenre really more of a motif perhaps but any use of ballet or dance in horror movies um yeah, I don't know. I love it all. Really. Yeah, because I, I I did see that you were a a, a dancer, which was uh, very interesting. And I and you uh, did your uh, thesis on a uh, rape revenge as well. Um, so I could see where that might have um some overlap into the the psychosexual uh, angle that you were talking. But uh, but I like that you uh you know shout out like recurring motifs that you like because I mean that is kind of part of what goes into our like subgenre conversations. And uh, I call them uh, my horror kinks is whenever I just like see something random that I just always love in a movie. Like if you're jumping out the window on your own accord, I, that's a horror kink for me. You know, so like I, I love seeing uh, random motifs like that uh, <laughs> pop up as well. Uh, what's a your experience with uh, South Korean horror? Oh man, I I don't know. I'm actually, I guess maybe not the most 
well-versed, really. Um, or I feel like I a lot of my favorites are like everyone else's favorites. And I feel like it's like a gift that keeps on giving. Like each new South Korean film I watch is like a new favorite every time, like without fail. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. The movie we're talking about today specifically is one of my favorites. Um, I do have another podcast that is on an indefinite hiatus that's named after the film we're talking about today. Um, big Bong Joon-ho fan. Um, so it's been really fun to listen along to this month of episodes. Um, yeah, I it's definitely the kind of film that I gravitate towards. Like whatever subgenres are being played with are usually things that I love. I don't know if that made sense, but no, it it makes sense because I mean, you know, I think um one thing that we do whenever we uh, cover these you know large themes is we try to find like yeah those uh, kind of recurring motifs and yeah it's kind of it's a it's kind of hard to describe sometimes when you're describing like a country's style of horror but you just mm-hmm. like kind of know it when you see it like like all the South Korean films that we've talked are like all different but they all do kind of have this very similar feel to them uh i i have the hardest explaining australian horror i'm like i'm always like i'm like Mm. it just it has that thing it's mean it's it's kind of this you know so it's like it's kind of hard to describe uh garrett what are uh, some of uh the the recurring motifs in the south korean uh uh, films that uh, we've talked about so far well something that we've all discussed is kind of a lot of these films are related to this very domestic familial relationship uh, a lot of the movies that we discussed throughout this month just coincidentally related on kind of like piece of shit dads uh, which was certainly wasn't planned at all uh, and it also kind of applies here too like you know in, in a certain way and we'll get to it um, but a lot of the films uh, including this one probably the most honestly are about these relationships and families and I think it's really interesting getting a, you know, a Korean perspective on this because I'm sure kind of the hierarchy or the, the you know, the power play um, situation, I would imagine, is different in a Korean household than it is an American household. So to have that explored through the lens of horror and through such a dramatic and horrifying way, I have found really fascinating. But I'm loving that in each of the movies that we're discussing this month, it's looking at that through such a different lens, like the lens that this movie, you know, uses to, you know, explore a similar theme to the host or, or uh, any of the other movies that we've discussed today is just so different. So it's been a really cool kind of painting in these different um, uh, uh, colors here and getting to explore similar things that are just approached in such a, a vastly different way. Yeah, and and I wanted to touch too. I think it's interesting because like uh, Van, you were saying, like a lot of your favorite South Korean horror ones are a lot of everybody's favorites. But I think that is just because of obviously like you know the um, accessibility and you know exposure that we have to these international films, and you do kind of have to do a little bit more work to kind of get past the you know the classics. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, all four of these were first time watches for me, yet they're all pretty popular ones. So it was like 
And I know um, me and Garrett uh, almost ran some issues, like thinking we weren't going to be able to find this movie to watch because it's not on many right. streamers right now. Um, it is on uh, AMC uh, Plus and uh, Canopy. Uh, if you guys have your library cards, get a uh, Canopy and Hoopla. Uh, Canopy has all four of the movies from this month. They gave us a shout out on Twitter, which was uh, really nice. Uh, so, uh, yeah, go get a library card and, and get Canopy. Um, <laughs> but anyways, let's go ahead and get into our movies for today's episode. A Tale of Two Sisters, Atots, if you're nasty, uh, was uh, released June 13th, 2003, Uh, 20-year, we just missed out on the 20-year anniversary, but yes, it was a Friday the 13th, so how fun um, for that. Um, This was uh, directed by Kim Ji-Woon. Um, who uh, directed um, uh, I Saw the Devil, which was going to be my choice last week, but I didn't want to double dip in the same director. I wanted to give someone else a, a little bit of shine. So, um, But uh, yeah, I Saw the Devil, fantastic film. I think I've mentioned it on every episode uh, this month because it's really fucking good, guys. Um, this was uh, written by Ji-Woon. Uh, cinematography done by Lee Mo... Uh, mm, cinematography done by Lee Mo-Gai. Um, and score done by Lee Byung-Woo. And this was edited by... Ko M. Pyoi, and the box office uh, was pretty small, only did about a million dollars in total against a uh, $3.7 million budget. Uh, The only flop that we've covered this month, uh, all the other ones have done pretty well. Uh, Garrett, uh, the game that uh, you have not come close to a single time, uh, how much of that came from the U.S. out of that $1 million box office? You know what, Devon? It's the last episode of the month. I'm throwing a, a hail mary pass. Uh, I'm saying, I'm saying ninety thousand. Let's let's see. Is it is it price or right rules? Hopefully, I'm at least under the number. I mean, you're a little bit closer. You're at least in uh, the five figures range of being closer uh, than some of the other ones. But you still overestimated us. Um, Seventy two thousand uh, dollars contributed by us Americans. Again, we suck. Go go support the international films and theaters, guys. Um, you know they do it for us. We need to do it for them as well. Um, but uh, and then this also did get uh, the remake treatment in the U.S. as the Uninvited, uh, the first one that we've talked about this month. Because uh, I've noticed um, the U.S. remade a lot of J horror films. They didn't do as much uh, South Korean, but they did dabble in some other ones, which I'll get into in my movie math later. Um, but yeah, so this was a remake and uh, interesting um, the way that they kind of marketed the remake um, kind of more overtly as a horror film versus uh, the way that um, it was originally marketed, um, which I think would play very differently uh, on the, the watching. Uh, so, Vanna, I'll see. Uh, I'll get your opinion on uh, the, the remake here in a minute. Um, but uh, this has a 86 percent. On uh, Rotten Tomatoes on 63 reviews. Uh, Vanna, out of uh, what do you think the Letterbox average rating is out of five for this film? Oh my God. Letterboxd reviews are always so hard. I feel like every film I love is either like full of fives or full of ones. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I guess I feel like this one is a. You know, I feel like there's a lot of polar opposite opinions on this one that I've seen. So it's probably like a 3.5 or something like pretty it probably close. gets a good average. <laughs> pretty close. 3.7. Um, you know, this is a pretty favorable 
um, amongst the letterbox community. So, I mean, it's, you know, pretty decent. I think, again, one of maybe the lower uh, scores that we've done um, from the month. Um, but it's, which I find interesting. I feel like this might be like one of the more popular ones uh, as, as far as like name recognition, maybe. Uh, not sure. Um, but, uh, Vanna, this is one of your, uh, favorite films. You did, like you said, uh, name your other podcast after this as well. And, uh, you did kind of tackle the uninvited a little bit with that. So, um, um, give us, uh, your, uh, general feelings on, uh, Tale of Two Sisters and, uh, you can sprinkle in, uh, some from the uninvited. Yeah, well, um, my introduction to this film was through the remake. Um, the remake came out. I don't know when I was like starting to go to the movies a lot with friends. Um, it was like a PG thirteen horror movie. Um, I still have my movie ticket, by the way. Oh wow! Um, nice. <laughs> yeah, from two thousand nine. Um, but I want to say it was probably like a little bit before the pandemic, maybe. Um, that I actually got around to watching A Tale of Two Sisters for the first time. Um, leagues above the remake, <laughs> like, in every way. It's just, like, a, a way better crafted film, in my opinion. Um, but, I don't know, as soon as I saw it, it was just, like, I was just in love. It was kind of everything that I kind of, am into a lot of the movies and um I don't know I guess maybe I didn't mention them too much at the top but like a lot of the other subgenres that I like really take a lot of inspiration I think from this movie or movies like this um which I'll probably bring up in movie math later but um yeah I don't know I it I was just kind of like mesmerized by it um but yeah but I did come to it from the American remake so it was definitely a totally different vibe um like you said like the remakes a little more outwardly horror which I think American remakes like to do we don't do subtlety really <laughs> um but yeah I don't know and uh, Garrett, I know this was uh, going to be a first-time watch for you, a first-time watch for both of us. Um, uh, so, so how'd you feel? How'd you experience? That? I mean, I saw from your letterbox review, uh, made me giggle. I, you know, almost wanted to pick that one for the opening because I mean, you kind of <laughs> hit the nail on the head with it. But uh, uh, tell us about uh, your experience here. Yeah, this was something. It was it was kind of funny because I didn't really know what this movie was. I had even though I had seen The Uninvited when it came out, I didn't know that that was even a remake uh, of this movie even to this day. And I started watching this film, and I was like, wait a minute, I feel like I've kind of seen this before, but really only in kind of like you know the 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 high concept elevator pitch sort of way, just knowing about evil stepmother comes in, you know, drama happens there, but really not even remembering any other elements uh, of the remake other than that. So I don't even know if the other one goes into like these supernatural uh, directions. I'm curious to even rewatch it now with kind of fresh eyes. But um, with all that being said, this was a first time uh, watch for me and I was completely blown away. Like this was so great. I really, really uh, am, am happy that this kind of lived up to my expectations and just everything that I've heard about the film. Um, I thought all of the performances were really great. I, I, I thought the 
family dynamic at play here was really strong. But more than that, like this is just a freaky ass movie, man. Like it, it is certainly the most like outwardly um, uh, horror film, it, even in sort of a traditional kind of way of things going bump in the night, more of a jump scare kind of, uh, uh, you know, atmosphere here rather than something like the wailing, which is just oppressive and heavy and, and uh, just super, super dark. You know, this felt like kind of the, uh, fun haunted house fairy tale that uh, was was really surprising here that the fact that this is kind of this weird gothic fairy tale was was a lot of fun so seeing just this movie kind of um, unfold in front of me and seeing the multiple different twists uh, at you know uh, happening here was also really exciting because I had no idea to even look out for a twist you know so yeah it was just a really riveting fun experience and I just enjoyed the hell out of it yeah, it's funny because like with the with the twisty kind of <clears throat> part of it, um, <laughs> this is the first time that um, uh, I kind of spoiled a little bit of the movie for myself because I was um, <laughs> when prepping for the podcast, I have to, you know, I switch all the notes over and everything. Um, it, so I'm, I was switching the notes over. I saw Garrett's movie math before I watched the movie. And then I was like, because I didn't even Damn. know this was a ghost story. I was like, ah, I was like, and so, so when I saw Garrett's movie map, it like kind of planted some seeds in my brain. Um, yeah. But it did kind of, <laughs> but it, it helped for the second twist because, you know, that, that twist comes in like, like it at like the two thirds mark. And then I was like, oh, okay, so there's more. And then at the end, then I was just like, whoa, like the, the Mr. Krabs <laughs> with like the rings around. That was me. Uh, watching this because it also like the end of the movie like happened when I was like receiving all these phone calls and I had to like kind of like pause for a sec and then I like put it back on and then like the twist ha the like the climax happened I was just like yeah um it, it was uh, such a very fun watch uh in that kind of way but uh yeah this uh I was kind of like this was a, a movie I was like uh, as soon as the title cards came on I was like oh yeah I was like this is me uh the like the the title cards are so gorgeous the score is absolutely phenomenal I'm gonna be listening to the score like for the next week it's so damn good um but uh yeah I kind of it's fine because I always got this movie mixed up with the handmaiden and um and it's funny because like the I think it's really just the posters um because they are completely different like um you know hopefully maybe um if we do an erotic thrillers month next year maybe the handmaid might pop up um mm -hmm. and so that's the reason I also didn't choose it for this month because uh, I really love that film as well um but yeah I kind of always got them mixed up so I kind of had an idea of what this movie was but I would just I never would read anything about it because I just like kind of didn't want to know anything um and so it's funny that I spoiled it for myself at like the very last minute a little bit um but yeah it, it's super fun uh it's very quiet uh I love the way that it uses uh this house and um and uh, yeah the it, it was like I kind of was like I, I was paying attention like very closely I was doing a lot of rewinding in this movie because I had to pay attention to the wording and who somebody was addressing and things like that so like I caught myself like rewinding a lot to be like oh shit because I'm obviously taking notes also so I'm like oh shit did I miss something who did he say did he say her name or did he say her name you know so I was like uh, very much like uh, uh having fun like kind of like looking out for all these little details just so I could try to make the end make sense and then even still like i'm i'm uh, long story short we had to reschedule the recording and i'm so glad we did that i could have an extra night to like think about this because uh, mm -hmm. I, I needed some processing uh, so i'm very excited uh, to talk it out with you guys uh vanna are you ready to uh, give a 60 second synopsis 
I there's literally ghosts in the movie. Like, what more do you want? Come on. There's ghosts and kids <laughs> die. Okay. Like, this is a horror movie. Um, like through and through. But um, yeah, we've uh, kind of touched on uh, yeah the the recurring motif in South Korean horror uh, of this like very family based uh horror with uh the grief and drama kind of like weighing on this family like so heavily. Um, and like with it being so isolated to this single location as well, it like kind of feels even more uh, heavier in that way. And uh, of course, you know, like maybe uh, psychological elements and things like that. Um, but uh, Garrett, uh, what are some of the stronger subgenre elements for you? Um, I'd already kind of mentioned it in kind of my overall thoughts of this, but it was really wonderful scene that this film is I you know this twisted fairy tale I had no idea that it was based off of this Korean folk tale so that was really cool to see that seeing the elements of you know your classic evil twisted stepmother who is um, you know pressing their thumb on the, the 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 daughters of the family or whatever almost kind of like Cinderella style the, that was really great seeing it um, but also it was uh, a funny scene that this movie, even with its uh, twist in mind, is all about, say it with me, grief. You know, like this is, this is back in the time where this genre wasn't uh, completely <laughs> oversaturated like it is today. Um, so this movie does uh, get a pass, uh, not only because obviously it came before that big wave, but I think it also just tackles it really well and in such a fascinating way. Um, I think that some of the DNA of this film could be found in other movies, but I think what's important is that this movie is really able to distinguish itself and put its own spin on even some familiar um, character archetypes or tropes or things like that which I think is what makes it really special yeah I feel like 20 years later this uh, kind of grief porn uh, hits differently for sure because mm -hmm. like it like this still feel like felt fresh like you know like how I was pleading about how talk to me didn't feel fresh in the the grief trauma you know angle this coming out 20 years ago even after like kind of yeah this like kind of wave that we've had of it the past five years or so uh, still felt very different and fresh which i very much appreciated uh vanna uh, what are uh, some of the stronger sub genre elements for you um i mean i totally agree i love like this evil stepmother um almost cinderella narrative um it's definitely like atmospheric um i consider like gothic it's totally a gothic haunted house story but with like a twist um and gothic fiction is like one of my favorite things uh both on film and in like literature so um that's one of the things that really stands out to me with like each watch is like how much the gothic atmosphere keeps me on my toes I guess um definitely like a psychological thriller like unreliable narrator um character archetype I guess you could say um yeah those are the big things that really stick out to me yeah I I, I did really like um the uh the evil stepmom trope uh, well, evil stepmommy here because uh, Yoon Jung Ah uh, <laughs> playing uh, Yoon Jo. Uh, I mean, more like Yum Jung Ah because mm, mm, mm. Uh, that's all I kind of wrote her down as in my notes too is uh, evil stepmommy, uh, which actually helps in uh, kind of distinguishing the characters a little bit later, um, you know, uh, through the reveals. Um, but yeah, so it's an interesting trope seeing played out, you know, it is kind of like so old in some of these older folklore stories. And like, and for somebody like me that like my, my stepmom, my 
she's been in my life since I was two and she is my mom. So it's like, it's always interesting that like, you know, I have like kind of the opposite. So it's always interesting seeing these stories being told about like the way that kids see, you know, stepmothers, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of the way that they're portrayed versus uh, uh, stepfathers in uh, horror films as well, which is also a trope, you know, stepparents in general is, you know, kind of a, a, a you know, general fear for some people that are, you know, come from families of, uh, divorced parents and things like that and um so so yeah it, it it's always fascinating whenever I watch them because like I don't have that experience I mean I I, I had a stepdad that was uh kind of up and down but like I, I've never had like you know any uh step parent where I'm truly like ooh they're evil like I don't like like my current mother's like husband but like he's a cartoon character so it's like eh, you're it's whatever so like I never have that fear of like step parents so um, it is interesting watching that play out and uh in the in the in the haunted house angle as well. Um, because I love that uh the in the letterbox review that I called out is like like I totally knew exactly what he was talking about. Like when you see these wallpapered houses like this, uh these Amityville esque ass houses, you know, like you you just know and I like um the uh the kind of visual motif of uh making it move. A little bit so like every once in a while it just like kind of ripples a little bit and you're just like wait what was that you know and and you're just like kind of um uh, a little off put by it I like that little detail that I kind of aided in the uh, haunted house aesthetic yeah I mean you were talking about the the kind of trope I would say of having a step parent coming into the situation and how scary that can be especially from a child's perspective and I think it really just kind of boils down to that classic just fear of the unknown you know fear of something coming into your space that's not normally there or kind of what accompanies that too that you know in this movie's case the mother is is no longer there she's gone and and this person is coming in seemingly taking her place but what i loved you know about this film and what you were discussing devon is that the the character does act so cartoony and is so over the top in a way that not only kind of coincides with what you know an audience would expect to see in a fairy tale but it is this imagined version right of how this girl perceives this woman it's not her Mm -hmm. actual behavior it's not actually what she's doing but it's her imagination of this evil stepmother you know even perhaps based off of her own experiences of reading these folk tales or, or seeing these you know classic stories being told is that this is what this person is supposed to be but she's not that way and the idea of making her that way I think it makes it easier to kind of avoid you know what's actually happening I think it's 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 a harder pill to swallow that your mother is gone and that your father has actually found somebody that really makes him happy and who is kind of like so you know taking the, the the place it's much easier to think no she's evil and she's invading me and my dad is clueless and she's just this torturous you know wicked woman yeah it's also like a total deflection because right. it's really a, a, like with the real twist it's about her inability to cope with what happened so she's forcing this personality or evil you know stepmother narrative onto this woman because she cannot cope and take responsibility for her own um you know place and what actually happened to her sister and things like that so that's what i find really fun just like this constructed reality because you cannot cope with your own like your actual reality yeah, this uh, this almost uh, kind of had some slight De Palma esque 
vibes in the in the kind of controlling of perception of the narrative of who you're following and like you know like the traditional way that you feel about a protagonist uh with sumi you know and it's so fascinating that you know again like uh the first you know three quarters of this like you you have this idea because of what we're seeing and experiencing through sumi and and then for it to completely flip like you know i'm watching this i'm just like oh my god like I don't know if I've hated a stepmom in a movie this much since I don't know when, you know, I was just like, I, it was so effective. I felt so bad for Sumi and, uh, and Su Yun, you know, kind of in their, in their plight in dealing with, uh, you know, this evil stepmom. And then the way that it is kind of switched because, you know, it has been, we've been gi- given one perception, uh, you know, perception of it by Sumi, but we haven't seen the big picture. Like we, we, we get so hyper focused and like even the even the title of the movie, A Tale of Two Sisters, like makes you focus in on that detail to where you're kind of not looking at the rest of it. I feel like that's what also makes like the second twist like kind of hit so hard. Uh, so it's a uh, it's very fascinating to again, like I, I always like the idea of like um, a director like kind of controlling what you're seeing. And and sometimes with twist endings, people get annoyed that you know when you kind of see something then you're like oh well you just showed me a lie you know and it's like well this whole movie is a lie it's movie it's fiction you know so it's like it's interesting in uh kind of certain ways that you'll forgive certain aspects of a twist to be like did it make sense how we got here or did it not um you know so uh, interesting in that way too yeah i mean but i think what I always look for with a with a twist or, you know, on a rewatch is not only do these puzzle pieces fit together that, you know, when you have the, the context of the entire film, does it still work? Does it still fit? Not only that, but I think the film needs to work emotionally, but but also be improved emotionally. Like rewatching it should be a completely different emotional experience. And I have to imagine that this would be because the relationship between these two sisters and the dynamic they had is I found to be really sweet for one like that's I just don't feel like that's something that we see a ton in horror is this really uh kind of primal almost like familial relationship seeing them like hugging one another or cuddling or like consoling one another I found really tender and really sweet but on a rewatch the idea that she's doing that with her deceased sister and she's probably just laying in bed alone is so sad and so horrifying in its own way um that I found you know really I would imagine rewarding on a on a rewatch I'm really excited uh to to revisit this film um I also think that too the, the the two sisters and their relationships I think are also just very distinct in regards to how they are each responding quote-unquote responding one of them's dead but <laughs> they're each responding to trauma because one of them becomes hyper protective and really is looking out for her sister and trying to keep this thing that she has now safe while the other one kind of you know goes inside of herself and in and, and, and kind of uh crumbles and, and is more dejected and quiet and and kind of reserved so i just i thought that that was really fascinating to kind of portraying these two different responses to a traumatic event and how both of those are are you know kind of uh understandable you know in their own way yeah, I, I, I really like um, the, the use of the word tender. That's a, a word that I, I really love, tender horror. Like uh, mm-hmm. uh, we um, 
go back and listen to uh, the episode on good manners. This was a uh, pre Garrett, um, but uh, I think uh, a movie that kind of throw that uh, that around when you kind of talk about you know primal love and love between uh, family members. Uh, yeah, so it's like, yeah, I, I really enjoyed seeing it in that way. Um, so, so I kind of want to uh, throw, uh, you said you threw a Hail Mary earlier. I'm going I'm to also throw a Hail Mary um, because uh, I kind of want to switch it up for this because I feel like for this film to kind of uh, really talk about it properly, I think we almost have to work backwards, at least for me, um, because I feel like this is kind of going to dictate <laughs> the way that I truly do feel about this film. Um, so I kind of want to work backwards so that way we can get the overarching picture of the characters and then we can like kind of uh get into the connections here and there so the 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 end of the the end of this movie after the first reveal that suyun was dead and that that was the one that i kind of spoiled for myself and i was like oh yeah so i kind of knew that the sister was gonna be dead and 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 the film i don't think is like really like hiding it too hard like because you think the ghost is of their mother but it's suyun um but then the the Oh, the second twist of the movie is uh, Sumi, um, it, you know, this uh, beef that she's been having with Yunju the whole film uh, is a lie. Uh, she's been beefing with herself. Uh, this is a personality that uh, she has constructed. And you can kind of watch the film in one way and almost think Yun was going to be a, a personality. I thought it almost was going to go that way. So then whenever it was the ghost, I was like, oh, that makes sense. But then caught me off guard for it being uh, Yunju also being a, uh, a, a personality, uh, from this, uh, kind of dissociative, uh, personality, uh, moment that, uh, Sumi is having. And so, so the thing that was kind of breaking my brain a little, because at first when they like did like the camera thing to like Yunju, I thought there was going to be two of them. I thought there was gonna be like two sets of sisters. I, and so for a second I got real excited. I was like, Oh, Oh shit! Tale of two sisters, two sets of sisters. Um, but no, that wasn't the case. <laughs> um, uh, was not the case. Um, uh, but then, so, so, because when we get the flashback of what actually happened uh, that day, you know, we this is Sumi is kind of surmised that her dad is sleeping with the nurse that's taking care of their mother, mother uh, unalives herself um, out of grief, and then Su Yun discovered her. And then the uh, the wardrobe that everybody's been tell- telling us not to talk about the entire movie, uh, that's where it all happened. And it, like, you know, suffocated her. And the uh, the nurse had her moment to save, uh, save her, chose not to because Sumi was very mean to her. And uh, uh, Sumi, so Sumi walks off into the distance. But at the beginning of the movie, we pick up and that's her at the facility. So is that her... So is the beginning of the movie her at the facility, the end, whenever they take her and they drop her off at the facility? So if she just left at the end of that incident, how did she find out about Suyun and her mother dying? That's where I'm hung up on. I don't know. I used to think that it was like that was the end of the movie at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then it's just some undisclosed time but because then she just leaves and then whenever she arrives at the beginning of the movie she's not arriving from the facility she's just arriving back from her when she just left or what because yeah i I think because even like the synopsis on imdb says like oh she's released from the facility back to her home so that's why i'm like wait a second yeah well i mean we see 
sue me like come into the room don't we like because uh the the nurse is trying to like resuscitate the 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 little girl and then she like yells at her and says that she's like trying to wedge her way into the family and then uh she leaves uh you know she she ends up dipping after that and i think that that's kind of the guilt that she has right unless i'm misreading it that she's so worried about you know this woman who had an affair with her father that she's not allowing her to resuscitate her sister you know which kind of resulted in her death that's well, did what she I, even I mean, know I could be wrong, though because I, I like i was like did she even like make it to the room to like see that that was happening you know i mean they, I imagine... they like have that confrontation in the hallway and then like and then she just turns around well i mean i fi- i figured that she would have to know sooner or, la- or later right that like Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't think that she just never went into the room and nobody ever discovered her dead sister. I would assume that whether or not that she, because she says like you'll you'll regret this moment, right? You know. So I kind of imagined that she could put two and two together. That either she or someone else found her sister, found her her mother, you know, and kind of then she had this, you know, thought of oh maybe maybe she was trying to save them or you know, what was she doing in there? And I think it was, that's why it was easier for her to paint her as a villain is that she was there. Maybe she was even somehow responsible for the murder, you know, rather than what was the truth is that she was trying to do her job and trying to resuscitate her. But I could be wrong. I only seen the movie once. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think that it is perhaps implied that she had some sort of break, like a psychotic break, um, due to the grief yeah. of losing her mm-hmm. mom and sister and that she is supposedly like over it kind of in coming home because she does um, like she does have pills that she has to take so it is assumed that she has a prescription that she needs to be taking every day right. during the film like which they th- make you think that he's giving Yunju the pills but they're Sumi's um but I think it also can just be up to interpretation because there is a little bit of a um, time loop like uh, element, not like a, in a literal sense, but there's like that moment where she has a notebook in her hands and she goes to put it on the desk and like the stack of notebooks is already there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's supposed to be not like in a literal Groundhog Day sense that there's a time loop, but that there is some sort of like overlapping yeah. of like yeah. it might not be chronological <laughs> what's going on which because there would just be like editing snaps too where it would do that it would just change and it'd just be like oh nope it's actually this uh, yeah so well, i mean we are being told the story through an unreliable narrator who's not only also like that. very severely mentally ill but is on like pretty serious medication too and is like obviously pretty delusional so i would imagine that it's supposed to be a little um kind of shuffled around it's supposed to be a little um confusing because yeah. it's confusing for this character you know but i think with any kind of twist and and all of that i think the fun of these kind of films for myself is more of what i was discussing earlier is kind of what are the emotional ramifications for this character rather than how i are um that's kind of how I like to digest these movies rather than trying to put these puzzle pieces in a 
like a logical way, you know what I mean? Like the, the exact story, this is what actually happened from like an objective point of view rather than what I find a, a bit more compelling is how does this impact these characters? What does this mean for these characters? And how does these experiences, you know, shape them rather than necessarily like a beat by beat recollection of what exactly transpired in the movie you know just for me personally oh yeah i mean i think you said something uh, like a little bit earlier but like pretty much like it, it doesn't matter like i mean it does but it also doesn't like because like because yeah. the emotional like the emotional weight still hits me like even if it doesn't all the dots don't connect I, i'm mm -hmm. still feeling the emotions that i'm supposed to be feeling so like so in a sense it doesn't matter but i feel like i guess for me like as far as like when it goes into again like then uh emotions aside the the, the twist endings subgenre uh corner if you can give me both then it's like bam like because like you know this would be like super like this would be way higher if i like if i had the emotional hit and like all the like dots connected cleanly like that would just give me that personal satisfaction but of course uh, again it kind of it kind of doesn't matter uh, in mm -hmm. a way but i did have um an alternative theory that would be my perfect ending possibly uh for this so so hear me out on uh on we haven't had a, a good uh devon theory in a minute so because because when the reveal happened again like the way that the camera like did like the camera pan thing again very de palma-esque um it, it, i was like what if it was Yu Jun? was actually a grown-up Sumi, like the one that we had been seeing this whole time. Because Su Yun was actually the one that went crazy from the wardrobe and developed the split personality of her older sister Su Mi because Su Mi abandoned her after that whole incident happened. So like what if the Su Mi that we saw walking away at the end and then coming back later was like the Yu Jun in the in the suit? Obviously that wouldn't have made sense with like the nurse uh, with the dad. But I was like, for for like a split second, I w I thought the movie was like really going for it, and I was like, oh, I was like, this is the audacity. Um, but that was not the case. So I don't know. Would have been kind of weird and interesting, because I guess the dad was never actually with the Yuzhen that we saw. He was with the mm -hmm. nurse, but not the one that we saw. Yeah, and like that would be pretty crazy, man. Anyway, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was really surprised that this was both of y'all's first viewing. I yeah. did not realize that when, you know, this is the movie that I signed up to talk about, but it definitely really, like, it is very well served by rewatches. And, and that's yeah. one of the most amazing things sometimes with movies like this, where there is such a twist that sometimes the rewatchability is hindered by your knowledge of the twist but mm -hmm. i find that it's never like it's always exciting every time but i also i have the um the arrow blu-ray release and on it it has like a little introduction from the director and like i can't remember the exact quote but he pretty much says that the film is about the horrors conjured by the memory and like the masquerade that the right. main character has and, and really just about the effect of trauma on memory, like not just like, you know, twist for the sake of a twist or projecting for the sake of projecting, but that, you know, there are very real consequences on 
the human brain when it comes to trauma. So um, it reminds me of things like Mulholland Drive or like things like that, where it's all just it doesn't have to make sense. You know, Mm -hmm. if you kind of like you mentioned before, like it doesn't matter like it doesn't have to make sense but as long as we all kind of get it (laughs) or we get the feeling that's you know yeah the the Mulholland Drive is I think a really apt uh comparison I also think of something um like the others as well which uh I think all these movies have something in common which is having this very dreamlike quality to it and I think that that is not only um, in regards to the, the the plot of the film, that it feels like kind of this nightmare that this girl is stuck in, but it also being told in a nonlinear way, paired with the 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 way that the film is uh, captured, like the cinematography of the movie is really dreamy uh, and has this sense of unease to it, which I think puts the audience in this state of of um, unsuredness, you know, about what to believe, how things are transpiring, which I think that. That dreamlike quality, just like Mulholland Drive, kind of makes the 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 idea of memory being played with here all the all the more resonant because memories aren't linear. Memories aren't exactly how everything transpired, and in you know verbatim details, it could be moments or or you know how the 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 lighting was or something like that just specific details rather Mm -hmm. than an entire you know in-depth look at everything and i think that that is what i found um really compelling here is that there are uh memories being altered here like you were you were discussing Mm -hmm. here is that because of this this trauma when this when this young girl thinks about her sister this is kind of what she has to think about now or when she thinks about her mother that's kind of what she has to think about now she it's harder for her to go back and to remember all those nice times and those warm you know loving memories that they have and it's a bit easier to just conjure up something new and a new memory or a new experience that maybe didn't even happen or your perception of what might have happened. You know, I, I find that really compelling. And again, kind of what I was discussing earlier is that, yes, this is a film on grief and trauma. And I think on, you know, going back and, and, and watching this through today's lens, it's like I've seen this so many times before. But I think that this film is really able to approach it. Um, not only from like a cinematic language way, but also a narrative way that makes this film really distinct and, and, and memorable, right? The fact that this film is 20 years old now and apparently not even a lot of audiences in America saw it initially. I think there's a reason that this film has begun to or begun to snowball for American audiences and has just become more and more popular. And even though I, I hadn't seen this film, it was really high on my watch list. I was really excited to, to watch it because I've heard so much about it. And I think after seeing the film there is a very legitimate and clear reason why yeah there's and i think i figured it out now is like why i was saying it like still hits differently than the other grief trauma porn that we've been getting lately um Mm -hmm. in a way is because it's not just about the you know okay saying like okay grief and trauma this is what happens and then it's usually like oh hey look the grief and trauma turns into a monster hey the grief or trauma turns you into a monster and it's like okay but then what and so i think the the layer here is like the accountability angle um like how you said like you know your memories are kind of shaped by the emotions you were also feeling about those things and they're going to be weighted to you you know in a way and there's um something about you know the accountability of like okay yes like tragedy happened and this sucks and you're feeling all these emotions but like 
are you going to deal with the emotions and then, you know, figure out how you're going to live going forward? Or are you just going to, you know, let them consume you and let them, you know, shape the narrative for you? And that's pretty mm-hmm. much like the, the main struggle that Sumi's kind of having. And it's and it's very human. You know, it's in a very human way, because like, you know, when you, we were watching the film and she's, you know, beefing with evil stepmommy. And, like, you feel like it's warranted because you're like, oh, well, yeah, she sucks. She's, you know, she's shitting on Yun, She's shitting on you. Like, she's, and she's the, you know, one that took over for your mother. So, it's like you, you feel like it's all justified. But then we, when you see, like, the whole truth of it and it's like, oh, this is all really kind of me, like, responding to the situation as a teenager would. Like, you know, she's just very, like, sassy and add to about it, very avoidant about it. Um, you know, has all these emotions, you know, boiling at the surface, but like just like kind of won't let them come out. And and that happens so many times with the with the dad and the dad's such a fascinating character because like on one hand, maybe the shittiest dad of the month uh, that we've talked about so far uh, in that, like it did all kind of come back to, you know, decisions that he made. And like, you know, and in not saying that he's directly responsible, but it was like he's kind of the the start of the chain of events uh, in a way. And even though he like throughout the movie is like, I'm sorry, I, I'm a bad dad. I'm this. And it's like, OK, you're saying it, but then you're also still keeping the wardrobe in the house. Uh, you're also, you know, not doing more to help your daughter through these delusions, you know, and you're very absent and vacant, you know, so it's like. Uh, he's very shitty but then he is the one point that he makes is where he's like sue me you you're not dealing with this like like it's been you know a lot of time and like we you have to start dealing with this and that's like the one good point he makes the entire movie the rest of the time he sucks but uh but the accountability angle is very fascinating to me in this film yeah i like the haunted house element too like the ghosts um because not only does that kind of, um, at least on my first watch, it had me like, okay, is this about ghosts? Like, what is this about? Like, it kind of made me unsure what, what the actual plot was going to be. But it also, like, I think one of the things with a lot of the recent grief and trauma metaphors is that it's either a metaphor and... Or, like, it's either everything is real or nothing is real. Um, not people have a hard time with, like, accepting nuance or accepting, yeah, like, that everything that's happening can be in Sumi's head, but there can also be ghosts because the house is also literally haunted by the deaths of the people. Um, and the trauma, you know. I just think there's a lot of stories that are like everything that's happening is real, but the movie is a metaphor for trauma or nothing in the movie that happened is real. And like, it's always like one or the other. I feel like a lot of people want, which is why I wasn't sure people, um, you know, that this would be highly rated on letterboxes seems like something that a lot of people would be like, it doesn't make sense or, <laughs> or something. But, yeah. um, but I think that's what makes it make sense. That yeah. there is this whole other element of horror that's just kind of painting the background of the story. Um, I think that's what also keeps it kind of like fresh and different, even though it's 20 years old. Yeah, I mean, I love what you're you're saying as well and, and, and kind of piggybacking on what you were discussing earlier of this idea of, of, of memories becoming monsters or memories becoming, you know, 
the the only memory that you have anymore is just this traumatic one that it overshadows the positive ones and i love how that is kind of at play with the haunted house angle too is that literal or, or otherwise i think that we could definitely have a discussion about that i love the idea that this girl's memory of these people are just now as ghosts and that they are kind of haunting this place too and they're haunting her and they're haunting her memories right is that these people are are unable to be taken from her mind when she's walking through these halls or she sees a wardrobe or she sees a, a doorknob or a garden or flowers or whatever that we see in this film, you know, is that she immediately associates it with the memory of her, her mother or her sister. And I, 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 I'm a big fan of when horror movies are able to have and incorporate supernatural elements. Um, obviously, it's 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 important in a horror movie to have elements of horror in it. But I think that there are so many films, especially American ones, that have those elements purely to kind of maintain like a scare quota in a way, if that makes sense. Of like, we need to have something to scare the audience. So let's just add in this thing, you know, where I feel like the the scares in the horror that is found here is really rooted in exactly what this film is talking about but also really in characters too which i think is uh just so impressive that this movie is able to juggle a lot like we talked about it um before with the wailing is like there's so many things in the film that the the movie's plate is a little too full at times but i felt like this is a real demonstration of just the technical expertise and kind of the narrative expertise as well that a lot of these things are given enough due but not too much due you know right that like that's still kind of the unknown and horror that it's not overly explained they give enough they give enough that the audience can kind of have fun putting these pieces together but i still think that the more that you think about the film and try to put it all in this nice picture it only continues to reward the film. You know, it doesn't lessen it or make it less scary. The fact that these explanations may or may not be there. Uh, but I think it really capitalizes on the horror as well as what these characters um, are going through. Yeah. I, I think the haunted house like does a really good job of like amplifying um, the, the horror in a way, because again, like going back to the accountability, I love how, uh, Yu Jun, who we know is actually Sumi, um, is blaming the house. Like, the, this house is evil. I feel all these things. Like, this house sucks, you know, all these things. And, and you know, it's like, well, it's all the people in the house that aren't dealing with these emotions. That's what really sucks. But the house isn't making it any easier uh, for, you know, uh, being haunted. And, and which is always fascinating. Uh, it kind of brings up, like, that question of, like, um, whenever a tragedy, like, happens, like, in your home, like, do you leave because like you can't you know be there because the the house uh you know ties the memories to this thing happening um or do you stay like the dad kind of does of being like well i mean this is our home like you know i'm like i know like you know these this tragedy happened but like this is our home so it's like uh it's kind of interesting the way it like kind of juggles that in uh using the the house in that way um i i, I love um i love that this is like this is a creepy haunted house, but it's not like overly creepy. Like, you know, like, um, it, like there's really nothing like outwardly like bad. It's just like it, it, they, the set design is just so good in a way that's just like, you just like kind of look and you're just like, Hmm, 
something doesn't feel right here. Like it's kind of just that, and I, I like that it's not like um the the traditional uh haunted house where it's like yeah occasionally we have like a door opening, but it's like we don't have like all the the typical like kind of things that we see in like American haunted houses. I like that it's uh kind of just uh, some of yeah. these like little smaller details, like you know that I love the shot of uh Yujun walking through and like the blood just like uh, subtly seeping up through the floorboards. I was like ooh yeah oh, that's such nice. Such a cool I like effect, that. right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I wanted to mention it, and I want to get um, uh, Vanna's uh, thoughts on it, but you'd mentioned the father character and how um, culpable is he for kind of what's happening here, and I think that that too, even even though, Devon, you had said that he's the worst dad of the month, I think that too even has nuance, right? Is that, yeah, he did a terrible thing, and he did a really shitty thing that he very clearly feels sorry for, but I don't think at any point he would even understand the the events or the the um the kind of cause and effect of his actions that would ripple out you know in that mm-hmm. that he lost not only his wife that day True. but he lost both of his daughters in a weird way you True. know is that yes one of them died but the other one is now this completely other person who's not even present who's not even there anymore and he's lost all of these things and i think it makes a lot of sense that he still wants to stay in this house to me that's him kind of wanting to keep it all together and you know is just trying his best and is trying to to, to have this happy family again but being unable to let go of that and being unable to to part ways with those because that's how he's maintaining his memories at least for me is that when he sees that wardrobe that makes him think of his wife but not necessarily in this haunting horrifying way but i think in a much sadder way which in its own way is also kind of horrifying too right is that he is so desperately clinging on to these really dark um objects or a house or these memories as a way to just kind of remember this thing that that happened but also remembering his mistake in a weird way i'm wondering if that's almost like a penance for him is that he's wanting to keep these things around that like it's like a self you know inflicting pain kind of thing which is also sad and horrifying too you know Mm -hmm. yeah i definitely think it's like a like he made his bed he's gonna lie in it like he like a punishment like now like that happened and he lost um you know it's almost like his personal hell that he has to stay in this house um i also like i don't know it's a pretty nice like country home so i don't know if like <laughs> the market's you know, bad that's why he's not selling it <laughs> like i mean i wouldn't want to lose everything i do have mm-hmm. i guess like um we don't know what their relationship was like before he got with the nurse. Like, I don't know if there's like a lot of good memories there, but I think in that way that that is something that he's weighing at the expense of his daughter um, mm. and her ability to cope. Also like his solution is like, Hey, like, Hey babe, you shouldn't come by the house for a little bit. Not that like he shouldn't, have even been with her in the first place or like i don't know it's just like it's literally like oh hey like she's home like maybe just like don't show up for a few days like that's a total like not solution that's like a band-aid because she was going to come back into the house eventually because they're going to be married you know so there there's no um attempt to address how she's feeling or how she feels about getting a stepmother 
until like it's too late and then mm-hmm. now she's going back to the institution at the end like they never really have I mean I guess for the sake of the narrative and the twist but they never really have a conversation like hey like how are you doing yeah like how do you feel about getting a new mom like I don't know they don't really have a I don't know. He's not doing much. He's just kind of like hoping things are okay until they're not okay. So it's yeah, just a I total mean, like not yeah. hands off way to deal with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think in a way they are kind of having those conversations, except the conversations are just her telling her dad all of these terrible things that she's doing that she's not even doing. So I don't even think that she's at a place to where she's able to have you know, sort of this rational conversation. She's so far removed that it's not even about, you know, her own feelings. It's just completely, you know, farcical perception of, of what her actions, you know, are in her mind. And I, I think the dad is just, yeah, he's, he, he's, it, it's, it's a real avoidance thing. Again, kind mm-hmm. of portraying how different people respond to grief that he's completely avoiding it. Somebody, you know, is, is avoiding it in a different way and creating these these memories, um, so to speak. But yeah, I think it again kind of contributes to this really nuanced perspective that even this woman who seems to be the character that is completely lacking in nuance, somebody that is this you know archetypal evil stepmother, evil child abusive you know person, um, is to somebody that is also kind of flawed uh, and how the audience is supposed to think of them isn't necessarily in black and white terms, which again is what makes this movie so compelling for me. I mean, I think the saddest part is that it's like, it's on both of them. Neither one of them are like trying to meet each other in the middle. Um, but neither one of them are doing anything either. It's like, they're both on either end yelling at each other to like that. They need to come together, but they're, yeah. but they're not, you know, neither one of them, like he's, he's not like, you know, like coming up with a better plan and like, you know, trying harder, but then like, uh, when Sumi like has is like basically like just keeps going like I'm sad and mad and he's like why and then she's like I'm not telling you like like that's pretty much like a, a lot of the conversations um, that like are kind of had um I, I forget what the meme is from but like it's like the you wouldn't even know even if I told you and it's like well no yes yes you would actually you know so um it's kind of interesting that like the tragedy is like you know they're both like just like kind of dealing with this in the in the wrong way and not not coming uh together with it um but um as we have uh talked about you know the 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 bad dad trope uh we've also talked about uh the the dark comedy trope as well and uh not gonna lie of course in this one uh some of these interactions which are now kind of even funnier that it's sumi having these interactions with herself um, the the Sumi uh, Yujun, uh, well, fake Yujun, uh, evil stepmommy beef is just absolutely hilarious. Um, the way that uh, they kind of have this uh, this uh, kind of cattiness uh, to each other, uh, which uh, which I find fascinating. Um, then we uh, have that dinner scene. Uh, that dinner scene is so funny, like the the social cringe horror, because like, again, at this point, we've like hated evil stepmommy. So it's like so satisfying, like watching and like cringing her you know watching her through this dinner is like so damn funny but then like when you look back on it this is sue me doing this and like kind of doing it to herself in a way and it you know again like kind of changes like the whole context of that scene but um but uh just the the interactions and um 
uh, some of uh, the perform uh, scenes uh, performed by uh, uh, Yu Jun's actors uh, are phenomenal, like super darkly funny that like kind of uh, gets sprinkled in at uh, some some moments here for some levity. Yeah, the uh, dinner scene is completely hilarious. Yeah, you're you're right on the money. Is that at this point in the movie, she's so despicable, she's so evil. Just to see her stories and her jokes, just completely bomb <laughs> at dinner with like the you know the the aunt and uncle who just seems so tired. Which in a, when you're going back, you know, certainly gives it uh, a, a, a kind of paints it in a different light as well. But on, on the first go around, it is uh, totally hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, I see that it is funny but i have never laughed i just like cringe so bad yeah. at that part because i'm just like that is like, this is so awkward and like i don't know i love dinner scenes and horror i think that really plays into like the domestic aspect of the horror here and like the haunted house element too in a mm. way but it's just so like I pray that that is never me at a dinner, like, yeah. or that I never attend a dinner like that, because it's just so, like, I feel it in my stomach. I'm like so, I have such bad secondhand embarrassment when I watch that scene. It's so bad. Oh yeah, like it, it, it really gets you because like it's so tense. And then, and again, because I'm watching it thinking that this is like the this is Yujun. So it's like you're watching the dad being like oh my god I kind of hate her too but like I kind of have to stay with her because I did cheat on my <laughs> sick wife with her so I, I gotta bear through this so like him just like kind of sitting there but then like knowing that's actually Sumi is like kind of different and it's interesting because like we have that and it leads into like aside from some of the more ghost element stuff kind of leads into like another horror set piece where the aunt is like uh, choking, suffocating on we have no idea what and, and like has this uh super violent and gross seizure. She's like puking up like green baby food. Uh, it was uh, just a very un unsettling scene uh, that like kind of comes right off the heels of this like kind of like, uh, you know, already kind of icky feeling that you have. <laughs> mm hmm. Yeah, uh, thankfully for the the aunt, her name is Mihi. Uh, thankfully for, uh, for her, or well, I, I will say uh, for Yu Jun, uh, I, I believe is how you pronounce it, the one that was telling the story. Uh, uh, thankfully for her, her bombing, you know, is now not nearly as remembered as the the freak out seizure paranormal incident. Uh, I think that's probably what's going to stick in everybody's mind over dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like on a rewatch, what's really interesting is really paying attention to the stories she is telling because that really feeds into why the scene is so awkward because she's telling a story of something that she did with her brother and he is like we did not do that because he's watching this guy's daughter tell him that she had this story with him and he's like I that didn't happen like so like it's super awkward because it's literally like someone pretending to be someone else telling yeah. you a story that like Ooh. don't you remember when we did this and he's like no because i did that with yunju not with you like it's so it's so like going like watching it a, a second time now like it's yeah. like oof this is just so bad and and for a moment i thought it was that she was telling stories that it was like between him and the and their mother and i thought that's why it was weird but if it was with yu jun that's also still like kind of weird 
because I was yeah, like, she's pretending to be like, the stepmother, telling them mm. stories that the stepmother is supposed to have done with them. Yeah, like she thinks she's the oh, stepmother so it's like in she that like, moment. So it's like she knows she, what the story was about, but she's like telling it like completely like wrong. In a way, it'd be like, "Hey, Devon, do you remember when we went to that coffee shop the other day?" And you're like, "No, bitch, <laughs> I've never hung out with you in my life." Like, because she's just telling completely fabricated, yeah, stories, pretending to ah. be the stepmom, and they're like, yeah, yeah. and they're like, "What are you talking about?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's, it's so. Yeah, it's exactly details like that that I think will make this really rewarding you know on a rewatch and 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 make it all the more again like sad and 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 horrifying which i think is like a pretty apt way to describe this movie (laughs) yeah and um and and one thing that i did want to point out too with um some of the stuff because in this we also get like uh the scene um we also get like a a a vision of uh you know a a ghost underneath the sink and I, I really yeah. like the way that they do it because, like, when the seizures happen, we see Yuzhen looking under the sink, but we don't see anything there. Like, but, like, it does linger for a sec. And then later when she's like, I saw something, or, or when the aunt is like, I saw something, and then we, like, see mm-hmm. underneath it. Um, it's super, super spooky in that way. And then when we see um the, um where we kind of have a scene of um, uh, Sumi having a, a nightmare and uh, kind of seeing the um the ghost of her dead mother, um, is uh, very interesting because it's um, kind of reminiscent of uh, the uh, Onryo, which is like kind of like more of a uh, Japanese um, ghost uh, kind of thing where it's like a, the, the ghost of a vengeful spirit and it's like kind of their traditional um, you know ghost with like white skin with uh, the, the dark hair over their face. Uh, so mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting kind of seeing uh, a different uh, flavor of that in this film. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I, this film was again uh, uh, much spookier than I anticipated. Yeah, and I I think, too, it just kind of speaks of some of the other movies that were happening at the time and sort of the bleed over here, because I do think that there was a surprising level of, like, kind of J-horror happening in this movie, which was interesting to see uh, kind of both of these, um, you know, uh, J-horror is such a well-respected and well-regarded genre in horror, and so is uh, K-horror, and to see them kind of uh, bleed over into one another was really uh, fun to see. I don't feel like I had seen that kind of mixing happened at least too much in the the movies that we discussed this month. Oh yeah, speaking of yeah, bleeding. typically like South Korean horror movies that I watch don't have like that kind of traditional like ghost girl floating in the room kind of vibe. It's usually like much more of like a drama, like you know, or like some of the other movies like you talked about, like that very traditional looking ghost like is not something that like i typically see in a lot of the movies so it was like kind of surprising yeah for sure and uh and speaking of bleeding uh garrett uh i was curious uh to because that was uh, kind of one of the things that um was uh, kind of a little uh that that missed me on this one was uh, kind of the uh, the attention to blood and whether it be someone on their period, but then also or just like bleeding from like a, a wound or like yeah. or a, a bloody body in a bag, which is actually a porcelain doll not bleeding at all. Um, so I'm intrigued. Uh, do any of you guys have any read on uh, the kind of some of the specific uses of blood in this film? Hmm. Interesting. I know specifically the period is supposed to be one of the clues that because the all three girls are on their period at the same time that it's a clue that they are all just her so like 
I'm on my period too because I am a figment of your imagination and you're on your period. Um, but it is also mm. technically a, it's an ode to the folk tale. So in the folk tale, um, one of the daughters I believe has, or like there's like a staged abortion that happens. And so the, one of the girls waking up on their period, like they do in the movie is supposed to be like a nod to this like bloody miscarriage abortion type plot that happens in the folk tale. Yeah. So. See, this is why we have scholars on here, guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm like also... not super well versed in the folk tale, but I just know that that is one of the elements. Like in the story, the stepmother is actually evil. So even people who knew this folk tale, that oh, was a twist that the cool. stepmother wasn't actually evil. So it's like a twist all around for everyone. <laughs> yeah, I also think about um, the the shot that you were mentioning, Devon, of the walking through the hallway and the floorboard having blood under it. And I think that that is kind of also going back to what we were discussing in regards to like walking through this house, seeing certain things and having memories asso- associated with that is that now this blood and this death um, is is all throughout this house and it runs throughout the very floorboards you know that there's there's not really any you would have to like level the house you know in order to maybe even try to get rid of some of these memories but when you're walking through these blood-soaked hallways so to speak you know it, it, it's it's all encompassing I also think about the the first shot of the movie which is um, a, a close-up of somebody washing their hands even though like the hands aren't, um, filthy or not bloody or anything like that. They're just hands being washed. And I, I think that that is also kind of maybe this this metaphor of trying to wash this kind of guilt-free, trying to wash this proverbial blood off of your hands, this hand, th- this blood that may or may not even be there, right? You know, um, in a literal way, but also uh, in, a, in a metaphorical way. And uh, yeah, I, I think that the, the film does have a lot of fun uh, playing with a lot of different kind of, traditional horror elements it's so bewildering still that people don't think that this is a horror, a horror movie the fact that it has <laughs> blood and goes throughout all the the entire film but <laughs> uses these iconic horror images like blood and like ghosts in order to drive home some of these deeper themes some of these deeper ideas again it's just like it's more evidence yeah this movie it's it's fucking awesome man it does a lot of cool stuff <laughs> yeah well let's uh go ahead and get into our final thoughts here um, out of five, out of five, what? Bloody sacks. Wardrobes. Out of oh, five wardrobes. Five wardrobes, yes, because uh, <laughs> also, yeah, very, very spooky uh, uh, wardrobe. We, that I love that's a very random common, uh, common recurring thing in haunted house films is uh, stay away from the wardrobes, kids. Uh, they're, they're bad news, bad news. Um, so, Vanna, uh, give us uh, your final thoughts uh, here out of five wardrobes. Oh, okay. I mean, I think... I don't know if it was clear enough that I just absolutely love this movie. Um, And again, the rewatchability, the fact that I've watched this quite a few times um, and the twist never feels diminished. Like I'm almost it's almost more fun to sit there and try to pick at every scene and figure out like what's purposefully placed. So the rewatchability itself, like, and how beautiful, like the score, everything about it, I think is just so gorgeous. Um, so I would give this five out of five wardrobes. Oh yes. We love a five banger around here. Uh, (laughs) Garrett, what about you out of five wardrobes? 
Yeah, this really like kind of leveled me, you know, when I was when I was watching it. Um, I was really glad that I was able to kind of like work through a lot of these feelings as well as get Vanna's um, perspective, considering this is one of her favorite films. It's been uh, it, it, it's colored my opinion, uh, really and just made me kind of realize how much this film is doing and and how kind of this wonderful magic trick that, uh, that this movie is a magic trick in multiple senses, right? Of what you were talking about is that you can watch this one way and have that visceral real experience of the twist and but also the entire journey leading up to that i mean uh ask my girlfriend who was next to me while i was watching this movie on my on my ipad and i she was uh, asleep because i was watching it late at night and when like the multiple twists were happening i was just i had like a physical <laughs> reaction and i woke her up and she was like what could be going on and i was like this is craziness you know uh so this yeah this film just like really rocked me um right now i'm at a a cool four and a half out of five wardrobes but i think that there's room for growth like i as of right now i'm able to enjoy it at that level but i think on on certain rewatches and being able to appreciate really how much is is in this movie um i think it's just gonna continue to grow from there there's no way it's going down but uh there's certainly you know the sky's the limit yeah <laughs> i'm, I'm kind of right there with you like it was like i'm, I'm sitting at a four and a four and a half out of five uh, could go up. I, I even like I, I rewatched just the ending before we start recording, uh, and I was still just like, mm, I don't know, uh, which was uh, fantastic. And I, yeah, I had the same thing. Like I was like watching this, and I was like standing up, and I was just like, oh shit, oh shit, <laughs> uh, and uh, having a having a real great time. And uh, like Matt said, it's a, a gorgeous film. Like this thing just looks great. Again, uh, love the score. Um, and everything about it and like uh, the performances are just all really great like all around like everybody is doing exactly what they need to be doing for this film um, everybody like you know for this very limited cast as well uh, you really get to know uh, at, at least you know to some degree of you know each character and it's it's very clearly stated like even if like you don't know who is who um, you still every all the intentions and like uh, feelings are like very clear between every character and uh, uh, it's just uh, really good uh, I think uh, yeah maybe I think uh, maybe it could just been tightened up a little bit you know there's just a lot of uh, vague talk that just like hey well if we're just gonna be vague here we can kind of skip some of this so like you know just a, a slight little uh, uh wrench turn to just tighten it up a little bit but you know again i'm a big rewatch person and with uh knowing how it all plays out and everything um just gonna be excited to kind of watch some more of like the the small details like the camera lingers on certain details like very specifically for certain things or the way that it's framed to kind of hide the identity of somebody and things like that are all very interesting to me. So yeah, I'm uh, very excited to rewatch this one again, and uh, and uh, and maybe I'll watch uh, the Uninvited as well. See see uh, how what we did to it. <laughs> um, has Elizabeth Browning and Elizabeth Banks or Emily Browning and Elizabeth Banks all like you know can't be too horrible, I guess. I don't know who knows. Um, but uh, let's see what other movies we were talking about while we were discussing a tale of two sisters. Alrighty, here on Spectre Cinema Club, we like to conclude all of our episodes by playing uh, movie math. Uh, the uh, rules are pretty simple, Vanna. The, you've uh, not necessarily been around here before, but uh, we've discussed it uh, before we started the show. But yeah, it's pretty simple. No need to worry. Uh, just have to add some movies into equation uh, that reminded you of the film that we're discussing today. Uh, so, Vanna, while you're uh, while you're talking about your equation, I'm going to go ahead and look on Amazon at this Arrow video <laughs> copy of this movie and maybe add it to cart. So uh, go ahead. Hit us with your equation. 
Well, math is not my best subject, but um, I would say maybe like Goodnight Mommy plus Cinderella multiplied by Haunting of Hill House. Checks out to me. Yeah, I, I love know. the uh, <laughs> uh, I I love the the uh, equation that you've had there. I think the you've you've captured like. Not only the the nightmare-ish fairy tale here, but also the family um, dynamics uh, here as well. And the yeah, good night, mommy is also dealing with some similar things, but it approaches it in, in a different way too. Yeah, damn, I didn't even think about good night, mommy. That's a that's a good call for this one. Uh, even though I <laughs> didn't that that movie did not live up to the hype for me, unfortunately. But uh, but that's a good Boo. call for for Boo. this equation. <laughs> this is all right. Like, this is all right. <laughs> Um, but for mine, um, I kind of went a little simple um, with it, um, kind of stretching it here. Um, so in parentheses, I have the lodge, um, you know, because we have uh, some some stepmom versus kids uh, tension going on here. Um, you don't know if it's supernatural or not, you know, kind of the things that are happening. You, you think they might be in limbo. Are they not? Who knows? Um, that that's a, I, I've been meaning to rewatch that. I'm going to put that on uh, for my December rewatch list. So I have that, um, and also just in kind of the way that's filmed, too, uh, in this uh, single location, um, that means a lot to these kids, but doesn't mean as much to, like, the stepmom and, like, uh, kind of the way that it plays into uh, the tension as well. Um, I have that divided by Shudder, um, the um, 2004 uh, Thai film. Um, so, so a different country uh, kind of doing um, their take on a ghost story. And uh, how, um, you know, grief and trauma can, like, literally weigh in on you. Um, is a is a very spooky film. Um, the way that it's like kind of um, uh, it's it's kind of got like a more of a Ringu films uh feel to it. So like that's kind of like why I'm like dividing it. Um, and then of course uh, America remade it and uh ruined it. It was the the American remake of Shutter trash. Um, but then, uh, so I have those in parentheses. I have that raised to memento, um, whenever we were kind of getting, trying to decipher the end in the way that Sue Me, um, is telling this story. I was just like, yeah, uh, this makes, yeah, you, you make no sense. You cannot be trusted. Um, and it kind of gave me the vibes of like the way you feel when you watch memento, uh, uh, in that kind of way of like, you know, it's like, does that movie completely make sense? Ah, who knows, you know, but, but do you feel the revenge? Yes, you do, you know, so it's like a kind of similarities there. So, so that's what I got for mine. The Lodge divided by Shudder, uh, raised to the power of Memento. I was going to say the, the Lodge is by the same filmmakers as Goodnight Mommy, so. Damn. Damn. Yeah. Interesting. What do you have to say about that, Devon? You like one of their movies, not the other one? Wait, Seems did, suspicious. Is it did are you, like they made the original one or they made the remake of Goodnight Mommy? Not the not the remake. I have not seen the remake, oh. but the So the they did make creator, the, the director duo. Oh. Yeah, they went on to do the lodge. Interesting. Yeah. yeah I really I really so. like the lodge. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good double feature. Some through too. lines between those two movies. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah, usually I keep it a little simple here on my equations, but I decided to to spice it up a little bit. I had I had fun with this one. So I have uh, in my first set of parentheses, uh, I have the Parent Trap <laughs> uh, plus the Sixth Sense <laughs> uh, because it's like yeah, two sisters teaming up together to uh, kind of take down this like evil stepmother. Um, I have those parentheses divided by the Grudge. Um, as I mentioned, I think that this film does have. Uh, some J-horror elements uh, that are certainly um, at play here, uh, as well as also being a film about death and grief and all of those things. Uh, And all of that 
is in one big set of parentheses, raised to the power of uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca. Uh, I think that that film also certainly has, uh, you know, it's gothic head to toe, but it's also kind of nightmarish, very dreamlike, uh, but is also about memories and how those can kind of haunt and, and, and impact uh, and, and, and color the way that we remember people or events and even new people in our lives too. Uh, and, and, and how the expectations uh, and familial expectations can kind of uh, hang over the, uh, the, you know, the head of those people trying to fill those shoes. Um, so yeah, I think uh, it's a complicated equation, but uh, I think the math checks out. It always does. It always does. Everyone gets an A on movie math as usual around here. Um, uh, yeah, I, I really liked yours um, again because like my saw like Six Sense and Grudge. Like that's like when my brain started like kind of moving uh, before mm-hmm. watching the film, uh, which was uh, again very funny. But um, but at the same time, glad that this had like uh, you know three more twists after that. You know, so yeah. it was all good. Made made up for it. Um, but yeah, so uh, this was a uh, really great uh, Vanna. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, uh, what are you working on right now? Where can the people find you? Uh, I know we saw a uh, uh, Saw X cover girl over here. Like, oh my goodness, that was uh, so so cool uh, for Fangoria. Yeah, so I have my my first ever, you know, piece with Fangoria coming out uh, in the October issue. Um, I have two pieces in there. One is just coverage of Saw X. The other is a retrospective essay on the legacy of saw and you know sprinkling in some existentialist philosophy and whatnot um you'll hopefully probably likely see more from me um with fangoria uh soon and other than that i just put out weekly episodes of the carnal extremities podcast and I try to publish my own reviews and things on my blog, sirendeathcult.com. But that's pretty much all I got going on. Hey, that's plenty you got going on there. Um, We'll have the links to all that in uh, the description. Uh, Garrett, what are you working on right now? Uh, not nearly as much, making us look bad around here. Uh, but you guys uh, can follow me over on uh, TikTok as well as uh, Letterboxd. I just published a – I haven't done a TikTok in a while. I was busy moving. Finally got settled in. But uh, I'm going to be doing some uh, horror Halloween ranking suggestions, all that kind of stuff. So I'm hoping hoping to put out at least like five TikToks uh, a week. I feel like speaking it into existence will hopefully help me make it happen. Um, but uh, yeah, if you guys want to see some uh, stuff over on there, it's just uh, at Garrett McDowell, as is all of my socials. Um, if you want some more podcast stuff from me, uh, I've got a, another podcast uh, called Scum and Villainy. It's a Star Wars podcast, and we're doing a bunch of Ahsoka coverage over there. So uh, yeah, give us, a, give us a listen. Bless you. Um, uh, you can find me on, uh, the usual things at underscore daddy disco on all social media and letterbox. Um, we're, uh, deep in saw city over on, uh, the pot and pendulum. Uh, we just, uh, did an episode on saw five. Didn't think I would be as passionate about saw five, but, uh, I, I love my boy Hoffman. So, uh, go, go listen to that episode. Uh, listen to me hype up my boy. Uh, and, uh, yeah, very excited uh, to continue on. I'll be hopping on a few more uh, episodes over there. And then speaking of which, the uh, next episode uh, that we'll be doing, we'll be covering Saw X. Uh, it's coming out. Uh, me and Garrett, we've been kind of doing our uh, own individual binges. So uh, it'll be fun talking about uh, Saw X at the beginning of next month. And then at the end of October, we will do our uh, Halloween special uh, Mega Saw ranking episode. And that's going to be super fun. Uh, excited to talk uh, all things Death Games 
Games next month, Garrett. Uh, I'm very hyped for that one. So uh, death games, whether that be uh, playing for your life, playing for money, um, gambling with your life, gambling with people's blood, uh, human hunting games, things of that nature. Uh, I'm super stoked. This is kind of one of my favorite subgenres. Yeah, I'm also excited to uh, uh, see some new films that have kind of escaped, you know, escaped me or have just some of those movies that have just been on my watch list forever and ever. And I'm glad to actually finally uh, be taking a look at them. But, yeah, I've also been uh, going through the, the Saw series and I, too, have some Hoffman thoughts. Most of them are about those big luscious lips that he has. Um, but, yeah, I'm excited uh, for next month uh, to go ahead and dive on in. Let's play a game. But. Now go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Spectre Cinema Club. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Subscribe to not miss a thing. You can follow us on social media at Spectre Cinema on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave us five stars, a nice little review. We appreciate you. But until next time, guys, stay lifted.